Hi, my name is Nick. I've been coming to Mansfield Bible Church for almost two years now, and we're going to be reading out of Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Good morning, everybody. Get one of those uh, wonderful, wonderful mornings. So nice and cool. Been waiting all summer for these, right? <laughs> for sure. Hey, if you came in this morning, you didn't get a communion cup. Please do. I'd encourage you to do that. Um, we're not going to. We're going to do it as part of the message this morning. So it'll be more towards the end of the message. But nevertheless, uh, make sure you have one. So if uh, you're halfway through the message, you're like, hey, I don't think he did communion. No, it's coming, all right? So just keep that in mind. This morning, um, as we get started, I'm actually starting a new series, um, and we're starting it on atonement. Um, probably one of the most uh, important doctrines of the scripture. Now, when you hear the word doctrine, don't run from that. Don't get scared of it. Literally just means teaching. So we're talking about biblical teaching when we're talking about the doctrine of atonement. Uh, I think this is a a vast uh, uh, teaching on the scriptures that is full of riches and treasure. And it's just remarkable the truths that are lying within the, the, the teaching of of atonement, and it's really important that we, as God's people, understand and are able to articulate what our atonement is. We will find ourselves in many, many cases uh, dealing with different aspects within our culture, and our culture, I think, is beginning to redefine not just in the culture but within the church, redefining atonement. And it's really important that we understand atonement as we begin this as we begin this series. And so this morning, uh, as, we, as we start, as we always do, I'd like to take a moment and let's pray. Father God, this morning I, I know that um, as we open your word, that Father, it's really a sign that we are seeking truth, for your word is truth. And so many times, Father, we as your people, we lose sight of who we are in Christ, we lose sight of what Christ has done. And Father, the atonement just brings it right back and reminds us of our total helplessness to save ourselves, our total dependence upon upon Christ, the necessity of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Father, it wasn't just an act to somehow um, show us how to live a better life, but Father, it was transformation. It took us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, took us from death to life, from a people of no hope to a people of hope. And Father, we would stand here this morning in the, in the grace and your love, in the righteousness of Jesus, and we would call you our God and our Father. That's only possible because of the atonement. And Father, may we as your people learn and grow in this process. That we have a greater love, a 
greater appreciation and gratitude for what Christ has done and for the scriptures. And that, Father, you would instruct us today. And you go past, Father, many of my own iniquities and shortcomings. And, Father, that your spirit would move and and speak to us. That we might grow in our faith, established in the truth of your word and the work of your son and find ourselves a people resting in him. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So one of the questions that I started as I was thinking this and thinking as we start this, just wanted to ask the question and not asking anyone to raise your hand and go, yeah, oh, I know, you know, just to yourself, could you define atonement? If someone came to you, maybe someone you work with, and they came up to you and they said, hey, you're a Christian, um, explain atonement to me. Could you articulate it? Where would you start? Where would you go? The scriptures, Lord willing. I'll, I'll tell you that's the first start place right there, is the scriptures. It's important to understand that we start here in the scriptures on any discussion about the atonement. And it is my prayer that as we go through this series over the next few weeks here, this four or five weeks, that by the end, you would be able to begin to articulate the atonement and what that means in your life and how it relates to your walk with God, that you would understand the power of God in your life through the work of Jesus and you would understand the grace of God and how it works and establishes you in Christ. Not in your own strength, not in your own abilities, but in Christ. And that we start with the scriptures. That when I look at the scriptures, when I stand here and I tell you that this book right here, the God's book, the one he wrote, is objective truth. That's important to understand. This book does not need me to affirm that it's truth. It stands as truth in and of itself. It does not need you to affirm that it's true because truth stands in and of itself. It doesn't need an organization. It doesn't need the collective ideas of humanity to determine that it's truth. It is truth. And so when we begin to approach the text, we approach the scriptures, we must understand it's truth. And yet it's one of the things that is going on today and it's being attacked is our understanding of truth and the scriptures. The Ligonier uh, uh, group and Lifeway Press, they every two years do a survey. I read this in Christianity Today, five heresies of, among American evangelicals. I'm not gonna address all of them, but I, I found it interesting about whether or not the belief that the Bible was truth, literally true, And it said there, the percentage who agree that the Bible, like all sacred writings, you see what they did in that little statement, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. 53% of U.S. adults believe that the Bible is not true. It's up from 41% in 2014 when they started doing these surveys. Think about that that the gospel that you're sharing with people, many times they don't believe even the truth of the word. The researchers called the rejection of the the divine 
authorship of the Bible the clearest and most consistent trend over the eight years that they've been gathering data. In other words, of of all of the things that they're asking, the clearest and most consistent trend is the belief that the Bible is not true. And when I say true, objective truth in and of itself. The researchers went on and they said this, this view makes it easy, listen to this, for individuals to accept biblical teaching that they resonate with while simultaneously rejecting any biblical teaching that is out of step with their own personal views or broader cultural values. So as we move away from the scriptures, the authority doesn't become the scriptures, it becomes our views, our personal views, and even framed by our cultural values, rather than the truth being established that this is objective truth, this is how we know what true is, truth is. This is where we go if we want to understand things like our salvation. This is where we go when we want to understand the work of God in atonement. And it's really important that we understand that and we begin to grasp that because what's going on in our culture and that we're changing some of these important doctrines, these important teachings of the scripture, and I'm finding that we as believers are moving further and further away. And we've got to stop. We've got to come back to the source that if we're going to understand what atonement is, if we're going to be able to articulate this important biblical truth, this important biblical teaching, then we have to understand the scriptures. What's ironic is that in their survey, this is one of the things they said, in the 2022 survey, around a quarter of evangelicals. Now, we're not talking U.S. adults. We've moved into the church within the evangelicals. A quarter of evangelicals, 26%, said the Bible is not literally true. And that's up 15% from two years ago in 2020. They also became more likely to consider religious belief a matter of personal opinion and not about objective truth. That's 38% said so in 2022, compared to 23% in 2020, just in two years. So this morning, I, I, I felt it necessary, absolutely felt it necessary, that we establish that as we're beginning this important truth, this important doctrine, this important biblical teaching of the scriptures, that we understand that our foundation of understanding atonement is from the scriptures. It's not from our ability to determine what fits our personality. It doesn't have anything to do with our self-esteem. It doesn't have anything to do with what we can accomplish. It is simply the truth that comes from the scripture as it relates to our atonement and our righteous standing before God. And scriptures is the objective truth. It was interesting. One of them, and I decided not to go there, but one of them said, <clears throat> talked about just within evangelicalism, 50, I think it was 56 or 57% of evangelicals don't believe that we have a sin nature. We may commit individual sin, we don't have sin nature. And when I read that, I went, oh my gosh, if, if that survey was true of Mansfield Bible Church, over half of you are not going to like what I have to say this morning. 
But we need to understand, we need to come to the scriptures and understanding what truth is, and especially about the atonement. And I believe this is a biblical principle. We see it in the New Testament about going to the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul talking to the Corinthian believers, he's explaining the gospel, he's explaining the resurrection, and he says this in verses 3 and 4, for I delivered to you of first importance. This is, this is something that's important that he received of great importance, first importance, that Christ died for our sins. Now look what he says. Christ died for what? Our sins. He didn't die for our self-worth, though we gain self-worth because of who he is. He didn't, he didn't die so that we could just have a better life, no problems. He didn't die so that we never make mistakes again. He didn't die just, just for all those. He died for our sins that he might bring us into righteousness before God. And he, how do we know this? It's in accordance with what? The scriptures. We go to the scriptures. He goes on, he says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day again in accordance to what? The scriptures. Please get that, folks. If we're going to come to a place at the end of this series that you're going to be able to articulate some of the key points of, a, of atonement, and by the way, atonement is a vast, vast biblical teaching full of great truths and treasures that we, that we need to know. And if we're going to come to a place that we're going to be able to articulate those truths, we need to understand it comes from the scriptures. Isaiah 53, Nick read it so well the, the, for us right before, right before the message here. But Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, what does it tell us? But he, this is referring to the Messiah, Christ, we know it to be Jesus, but he was pierced. Jesus was pierced. Why? For our transgressions. How do I know that? The scriptures teach us that. He was crushed for our iniquities. He wasn't crushed so that, you know, we just feel better about life. He was about restoring us to what God had intended for us in his son, Jesus Christ. He was crushed for our iniquities. I love this phrase. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. Our peace with God, our restoration with God. There was a chastisement that took place. It fell on Jesus in order that we may attain that. How do I know that? Because the scriptures. And with his wounds, we are healed. He restores us. We're renewed. We're brought from death to life. And we, even though we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him, what? The iniquity of us all. We were going our own way. We were making our own decisions. We were doing our own thing. And God was at the process of still doing the work in his son, Jesus Christ. So if we're going to have a proper understanding of atonement, we need to understand that we're going to scriptures. And now I want to make it clear. I don't know if I said this. Maybe I did. If I did, just put it on repeat or something. But... <clears throat> I want to make it clear today, I'm not looking at one passage and we're walking through a passage. We're going to be looking at a lot, several passages. They're all going to show up here on the screen so you can kind of follow along. If, you want to, if you're really fast with your phone, maybe you can flip or your Bible, that's, that's fine. 
write it down, look at them later, okay? But I want you to understand that it's a little different. I like, I like staying in a text, but today it's, we're, we're just kind of inter, introducing the subject of atonement. And so if we're going to have a proper understanding, if we're going to have sound doctrine, sound teaching, we need to go to the scriptures. And here's the thing. Maybe you came in this morning and maybe you're feeling, you're feeling down. Maybe you're a little, little struggling with life. Maybe you're struggling with things. Maybe you're, you're feeling a little hopeless. The beauty of it is that sound teaching restores us. It says, David, King David said in Psalm 51, he, he said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Not my salvation, your salvation. That as we begin to understand what God has done in the work of salvation, in the work of atonement, and it lifts us up, it encourages us, it gives us a confident expectation, a hope in the work of God that he will do exactly what he said he will do. And our faith and our trust is in him. It's not our salvation, but his. So if you're at this point as a believer and you're sitting here going, you know, I don't know, Greg, if I can articulate atonement. Well, let's change that. Let's change that. Let's learn. We're going to talk about words like reconciliation, propitiation. We're going to talk about redemption, sacrifice. Don't run from those words. Those are good words. There's things in biblical teaching that we need to understand and embrace and hold to. Uh, a few years ago, I had a little, little irregular spot on my, on my kidney, right? And so, you know, they were thinking it was kidney cancer. You know what I did? I did what a lot of you did. It's called Google. You go out and you read everything you can. You find these words you don't understand. You copy and paste and you go over into Google and you, what does it mean? And then you go into your doctor and you're saying all these things and your doctor's like, no, 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 you know, because you're trying to understand all these things, right? Don't run from these. You, you do it for your health. Well, do it for your spiritual health that you understand the realities of the truth of God's word and how it relates to your life as it relates to the atonement, as it relates to your salvation and your righteous standing before a holy God. That we might grow in him, that we might be established in him. Do not run from these things. We need to stand there and be sure and confident because it's in his word. So today, let's just start changing that. And let's get to a place where we can articulate these vast and deep truths. And I'm not going to be able to cover it all in just three or four weeks and in a 30-minute session or whatever. Okay, maybe a little longer, but not in those little sessions, right? I'm not going to be able to cover it all. But you can study it, and there's people to learn from. But you can go to the word, the scriptures is true and righteous. And that you would gain an understanding of the full grace of, of God and the demonstration of his love towards us and the treasures of the atonement. One of the things that um, I began to try to do is try to look up for a simple definition of atonement. It was, you know, I'd read one guy and it was three pages long and read another There's just such a vastness to atonement. This guy by the name of Ray, uh, Wayne Grudem, he came up with a definition of atonement. So we can just kind of be on the same page here. It's pretty simple, and I, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a good, good, simple definition. The atonement is the, work of Christ, is the work Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. Very simple. It's what Christ did in his holy life, his righteous life, his sinless life, and his death 
as the Lamb of God. We read those verses in Isaiah 53 talking about about, uh, him being chastised, his chastisement for our peace. It talks about him being a lamb. And what did John the Baptist say in John chapter 1, verse 29? He said, behold, what? The Lamb of God. Because he understood what Jesus was coming to deal with and to address once and for all. So when we understand atonement and the very basic idea, it literally makes, means to make amends. Some would, you know, you have atonement, at one It's the idea of bringing together a fallen humanity to God. That by our faith in Christ, we would be restored in our relationship with God, dressed in the righteousness of Christ, standing before him, calling him our God and our Father. So it's important to understand that the work that Jesus did in his perfect life and death as the Lamb of God was able to attain our salvation. That's why he died. That's why he lived, was to atone for sin and bring about and obtain salvation for us who would believe. It's, it's what, atonement is what Jesus did to obtain what we could not what you cannot, you can stand there right now and think, man, I might, I'm a pretty good person. I'm looking around. I'm better than him and I'm better than him. There's a lot of more people better than me. All those kinds of things. You can look around, but you will never be good enough. You will never be able to attain enough for your salvation. And if you think you are, you can, don't take this wrong, but you're thinking wrong. You're thinking wrong. If you think somehow that the life of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus was somehow so that you can attain a higher enlightenment and understanding of self, you're thinking wrong. That isn't why Jesus came. That isn't why. He came to attain what you could not. He, you cannot attain your salvation without the sacrificial death and work of Jesus Christ. You cannot do enough outside of him. You cannot. Only Jesus can attain our salvation. Please understand that. And as we go today, we're gonna be talking about some not so fun stuff called sin, right? We're gonna be talking about that. It's important to understand that because that's what keeps us from attaining our salvation. But we obtain that salvation, we receive it by grace through faith. What does the text tell us in, second, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8? We attain it by grace through faith. It is not your own doing. I love that phrase. It's not your own doing, but what? The work of God. It's the work of God. So why is atonement, and this is one of the questions I was trying to think through this. And So why is atonement necessary? I mean, why did Jesus have to attain our salvation, Right? I believe there's four reasons for atonement. I have a slide up here. We're gonna, I'm gonna walk, read through them and then we're gonna kind of walk through them a little bit. Again, this is just kind of introductory. There are four reasons for atonement. Number one, we deserve to die as the penalty of our sin. None of us like that. But it is a reality. And one of the things you're gonna hear me talk about is the reality of our condition outside of, outside of the grace of God. We deserve to die as the penalty of our sin. The second one is we deserve to bear God's wrath against sin. When we talk about 
We talk about God's wrath. None of us like to talk about that. We know, we know God's a loving God, right? God doesn't have any wrath. No, God deals with sin, dear people. We need to understand that. But we deserve to bear the wrath, God's wrath against sin. Thirdly, we are separated from God by our sin. Our sin separated us from God. You don't just go knock on the door and go, hey, everything cool? It doesn't work that way. We are separated from God by our sin. And lastly, we are in bondage to sin and death. I love so many times we, we just think we're free for so many things, right? But sin and death keeps us from that which God has intended for us. This is incredibly important base of biblical teaching or biblical doctrine for everyone who has ever lived. We need to understand the reality of this condition. Let's look at them a little quickly, just individually. We deserve to die as a penalty of our sin. We have sinned against God and sin must be dealt with. I don't know how else to say that. We're not gonna open the rug and slide it under and everything's cool. Sin has to be dealt with. Everyone who ever lived is a sinner and the reality is we deserve death as a result of our sin. I want you to understand, I had no more fun saying it than you had hearing it. But dear people of God is the reality of our condition outside of the grace of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. I always thank God for buts, right? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. There is a consequence to sin. Whether you want to admit it, you want to ignore it, you want to avoid it, there's a consequence to iniquity. There's a consequence to sin. And the wages of that is death. The penalty is death. Secondly, we deserve to bear God's wrath against sin. God is a holy God. There has to be justice. There must be an accounting for iniquity, accounting for sin. And so we deserve to bear God's wrath. Romans chapter one, verse 18. For the wrath of God, is revealed against heaven or revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. People who always want to run from God, they go, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I always tell them, well, just go do a bunch of unrighteousness because that's how you suppress truth. But if we want to discover truth and we come to the text, we begin to learn the reality of our condition outside of God. God's wrath and punishment will come against sin. You can believe it won't, you can deny it won't, you can say it won't, but it will come because we are responsible for our sin. Therefore, we deserve to come under the wrath of God as a result. Thirdly, we are separated from God by our sin. In Genesis 1 and 2, and you have the garden and there's this perfect relationship between Adam and Eve and God. You see them walking in the garden, you see that. And then in chapter three, we see sin entering in to the picture and, there's a, and the relationship is destroyed. It's broken. There's a separation between God and humanity and sin separates us. No wonder God hates sin so much. First Timothy chapter two, verse five, it says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. There's God on one side and humanity on the other and there's a separation or else why would we need a mediator? Why would we need one to go between? Because our sin separates us. 
It separates us from God. And we could not bridge the gap. Everything we could try to do did not help us to cross over. It wasn't enough. Fourthly, we are in bondage to sin and death. Without Jesus, you are bound by sin and bound by death and subject to the kingdom of darkness. Romans chapter 6 verse 20 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In the passage, the Apostle Paul's teaching the Roman believers, and he's talking about how they conduct their lives. Why would you continue on in, in sin, in iniquity, in unrighteousness, when you've been set free, and now you're slaves to righteousness? Your life is about righteousness. So why would you continue on? Now when you, and that's what he's saying here in Romans 6, 20. Now when you were slaves to sin, you were free from righteousness because you couldn't do righteousness. But now you are slaves to sin outside of the grace of God in your life. See, only Jesus can set you free. Only Jesus can set you free. And when you see these four reasons for atonement, if you want to be saved, you have to understand them. You have to understand the penalty of sin. You have to understand the wrath of God against sin. You have to understand that you've been separated from God. You have to understand that you are bound to sin and to death. You have to understand that. Well, how will you know what Jesus did and why he came? As much as we want to change the narrative and make it all about Jesus being this wonderful person who came along and showed us a better way to live, that is a lie. Jesus came to set us free and to deal with what we could not deal with, our own iniquity. And you might say to me right now, you say, man, Greg, that is pretty ugly stuff. I agree. It's no more fun to teach it than it is to hear it. But dear people of God, we need to be a people that face the reality of this truth, of our condition. And I get it. But unless you know this, unless you understand this, you will not understand what God has done in Jesus Christ in our atonement. If you don't understand the reality of your condition outside of the grace of God without Christ, you will not understand what he has done in salvation. You will not understand the atonement that God has done in your life. You cannot. Every person that comes to Jesus and receives the grace of God must recognize one thing. I'm in trouble. I cannot solve this. I cannot. I need someone greater than myself, someone beyond myself. And this reality is, this is my reality without the grace of God. You don't try to deny it. You don't try to self-esteem yourself out of it. You don't try to ignore it or get over it. You recognize it and in humility, you cry out, oh God, I need you. Oh God, I need your son. I need the work of your son to deliver me from the iniquity of my heart because I don't know how to overcome it. It's so true. I don't know where everyone is here this morning, but when you come to this reality, I will tell you this, this is when real life change can begin to happen. This is when things start changing in your life. This is when you realize you can't do this. You need someone greater than yourself. And there's a humility in your life. There becomes a love in your life. There becomes a gratitude in your life and an appreciation in your life. It's so important. 
In fact, this could be probably the most important news because it sets you up for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what God has done. So I want to look at in our time here four results of the atonement. We saw the reasons for the atonement, why Jesus had to come, but let's, let's look at the results of the atonement. Number one, first, we deserve to die, but then there's sacrifice. We deserve to bear God's wrath, but there's propitiation. I know it's one of those words again, but don't run from it. Let's learn it. Let's learn it. Let's change that. Let's start today. Let's change it. We are separated from God. Reconciliation. We are in bondage to sin, and there's redemption. Why is atonement so important? Because Jesus provides our greatest need. He solves it. He's the solution for our greatest need and problems. He addresses it. We deserve to die. So you know what he did? He became a sacrifice. Jesus becomes our sacrifice. He is our sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10. Now some of you know atonement. And some of you are going to listen to me. And you're going to go, now I'm going to hear these verses. And you go, Greg, why didn't you go to this verse? Why I mean, the, the scriptures is rich in this. It's rich in this truth. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, it says, but when Christ has offered, had offered for all time a single sacrifice. Now listen, a single sacrifice so that you can just have a life with no problems. A single sacrifice so that you feel better about yourself. A single sacrifice so that you can know how to overcome the world and, and live and be successful. What does it say? If the scripture is true and it is our objective truth, what does the scripture say? Says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for what? For sin, for our iniquity. The issue that we have, the thing that we couldn't overcome, the problem that, that we could not gain victory over. And then I love it. He sat down at the right hand of God, the work was finished. And when you understand the reality of that truth and you understand the reality of your faith in Christ and you understand that the work has been accomplished and that he has sat down at the right hand of the Father, you learn how to rest in your walk with God. That's a, that's a great place to be. We deserve to bear God's wrath, propitiation. There it is again, that word. Jesus becomes our propitiation. When we talk about propitiation, it's a biblical teaching. This is just a very simple definition. A biblical teaching that Jesus took God's wrath for our sin so that we would not have to. Isn't that wonderful? And we all should just kind of put that word in our pocket and pull it out every day, right? Propitiation. Jesus, Jesus took upon himself the judgment of sin, the wrath of God that I might not have to. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Right? Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 3, verses 22 through 25 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. I always like that phrase. There is no distinction. He's not talking about a distinction of, of race or wealth or skill, accomplishment, power or status. He says there's no distinction between all of us, between everyone. There's no distinction. Why? Because we've all fallen under sin. That's what he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can run from it. You can change it. You can redefine it. But it doesn't change 
the distinction that outside of the grace of God, there is no hope. For all have sinned and come short or fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Not something that you earned, you went in and there was a transaction of money or actions or deeds. It was a gift, it was grace. Through the redemption, we're gonna be talking about redemption. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood that by Jesus taking our place, He dealt with the wrath of God, the judgment of sin. And he did this by the shedding of his blood, by his blood. And how are we to receive that? By faith. This was to show God's righteousness because because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, his patience and long-suffering towards us. How amazing is that? Is that not incredible? That should be restoring the soul and strengthening the weak bones. If you're growing weary in your faith, may you be strengthened today with the truth of what God has done in in atonement and for your salvation. We are separated from God was the third one. And there's reconciliation that God would reconcile us. In Colossians chapter one, verse 22, uh, my small group the other night, we were looking at this passage. Yeah, it was awesome. We were looking at this passage. Colossians chapter one, verse 22 He has now reconciled, listen to that word, reconciled, bringing together. He has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to what? To present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, before God. That Christ would reconcile. Jesus is our reconciliation. We were separated from God. We were separated from him and Jesus reconciled us. He brought us together that we would receive that by faith and trust in him. It tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God was in Christ. Christ was in the world. You know what he was doing? He was calling people to himself. Come, be reconciled. Come, come. You know what it tells us in that very same verse? That he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Given us the same ministry that we would call others to come. To come out of that of that bondage of sin, to come out of that separation with God, to walk out from underneath the the judgment of sin and death and be reconciled to God. We have that same message. And then the fourth one is we are in bondage to sin, redemption. Jesus redeems us from our sin. This This is an incredible teaching, the redemption that Christ provides. But I want to look at one verse and It says in Romans chapter eight, verses one and two, I love this passage. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. That in Christ you've been set free from what? The law of sin and death because you were bound by sin and death. You wanna know how, one way I know how that's true? Outside of Jesus who has beaten death. We're all facing it. You can ignore it. You can deny it. You can do all those things to extend your life. But ultimately, it's going to get you because it's a, con- it's a consequence of our sin. And you're bound by sin and death. But Jesus sets us free. That's why he tells Martha, do you believe? I am the resurrection. I 
I was going to get through these because <laughs> I was breaking down all week every time I studied this because it was just incredible what our God has done. Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Though you die, you shall live. You want to conquer death? He's our redemption. This will be our outline over the next few weeks. We'll be looking at these four, and I hope that you begin to understand atonement and begin to be able to describe it and understand the power of God in your life. That you will be able to understand the sacrifice, propitiation, and reconciliation, and redemption. And if you do, there's a new love coming to your life. There's a new sense of discipleship or following after Jesus. There'll be a new sense of appreciation and humility and gratitude to love God more and the willingness to teach others. So as we wrap up, I, I think it's only fitting that as we realize this, that we end in communion. You got your cup? Putting up there Luke chapter 22, it was Jesus with the 12 in the upper room. What a what a fitting picture of the one who was going to gain our salvation and earn our salvation, obtain our salvation. It says in verse 19 of Luke 22 that he took the bread and when he, when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them. Now listen to what he says. This is my body which is given for you. What Jesus did in his life, and I probably just dropped it, didn't I? Oh, all right. Yeah, there you go. I'm not worried about it. But now look, let me get back to where we were at, all right? What Jesus did in his body, in his breaking of his body, in his life that he lived, is what he did, he did for us that we might have redemption, that we might be set free from the bondage of sin and death, that we might be reconciled to God, that we, might, that we might be standing in the righteousness of Christ, no longer facing wrath, but facing grace and mercy. That by his sacrifice, what he has done, he did for you. So he says, do this in remembrance of me. I hope I don't drop this one. <laughs> Verse 20, it said, and likewise, this is Jesus taking the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out again for you, this cup poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant the reason you stand here today, if you know Jesus Christ and you received him into your life, the reason you stand here today is because of that new covenant and your confident expectation that God will do everything he said he would do and that he would restore us. He will lift us up and he will make us more and more like his son and the relationship with him, that this new covenant that we have in his blood, that we would do this in remembrance of him.
Let's pray. Father God, this morning, I pray that, Father, your spirit spoke to us and taught us things that maybe either we have forgotten or we didn't know, Lord. And as a result, may we be encouraged and strengthened in who we are as your son, as, as your children, through your son, Jesus Christ. That, Father, we would rest in him and his work. That, Father, today, because of scriptures, because of the book you gave us, Father, that we might know truth, that we might find truth, that we would understand the atonement and the reasons for it and the results of it. That we might glorify your name, that we speak greatly of you and speak of your worth and we lift up your holy name. So, Father, we praise your holy name. To you be the glory and the praise and the honor forever and ever and ever. Amen.